Welcome to the show, everybody. This is your boy, Lo Jackson, coming to you live with the Only You Podcast, where we do book reviews based on self-help, psychological, neuroplasticity, how to build wealth, how to build your mind up to being better than what it was yesterday and the day before. And today, I'm going to be going over a special author. His name's Dale Carnegie. I have another one of Dale's books on my podcast that I have done. Um, it is Think and Grow Rich, and today I'm going to be doing How to Stop Worrying and Start Living, and I had shared with you that, you know, when Dale Carnegie was up and coming, he had changed his last name to Carnegie in hopes that he might get some kind of recognition. It was the greatest marketing tactic of his time, and people always told him that, that him changing his name to Carnegie actually propelled him into greatness and dale was born on uh november 24th 1888 and he passed away november 1st 1955 so most of his books are in the public domain um i think it's coming up on two years from 70 years he was an american writer and lecturer and developer of courses and self-improvement salesmanship uh, corporate training and that's where he made a lot of his money was in corporate training because he tried to help people develop speaking skills he tried to help people realize the verbiage that they use towards managers and other employees and how it affected their everyday lives and relationships in the workplace and at home he was very in tune with um being a mentor and being a leader. Dale Carnegie was an awesome man, and um, his public speaking and uh, interpersonal skills were up to par and way before his time. He was actually born into um, poverty on a farm in Missouri. He he was the author of How to Win Friends and Influence People, and that was um, written in 1936. He's a He still remains a best-selling author today, and I mean, that was a long time ago, so... You know, today we're going to be doing how to stop worrying and start living. And I want I want to say that uh, I enjoy this second season of the Only You podcast because I have so many people reaching out to me right now, asking me questions about the podcast, where it's at, where it's going. I've my sponsor Anchor just got a hold of me yesterday and asked me what was going on because I hadn't posted in a while. But you know, I had a death in my family recently, and things always you know kind of come to a standstill for a minute and. Until you actually go through the six steps of grieving, and I've talked about those in other podcasts. Um, Dale Carnegie actually, uh, um, his first marriage ended in divorce in August of 1931. Excuse me, in uh, August of 1931, and on no- November 5th, 1944, he married his former secretary, Dorothy Price Vanderpool, and she actually passed away in 1998. Um, she lived a long and prosperous life. Um, Vanderpool had a daughter named Rosemary from her first marriage. She and Carnegie had a daughter named Donna Dale. That's kind of cool, right? Good job, uh, Dale. Got a daughter named Donna Dale. Um, Dale Carnegie wrote um, Art of Public Speaking, which I told you earlier that was his pride and passion, was helping people be better speakers and better well-rounded individuals with any aspect of their life if he didn't know the answer dale carnegie would seek out you know professionals and people of the utmost intelligence and education level to get you the answers that you needed to get you to where you needed to be if you were working with him on some aspect in your life at the time of 
um, his existence. Um, in 1920, he wrote Public Speaking, the standard course of the United YMC sco YMCA Schools. In 1926, he wrote Public Speaking, a practical course for businessmen. See, I mean, you can tell by his writings that public speaking was a important um, thing to him, and that it was something he loved teaching and telling people about, and he enjoyed it. He wrote tons of books, you guys. I mean, 1932, Lincoln, The Unknown. 34, he wrote Little Known Facts About Well-Known People. In 1936, he wrote his most influential book, which was How to Win Friends and Influence People. 1937, he wrote five-minute biographies. 1944, he wrote Dale Carnegie's bi Biographical Roundup. In 1948, he wrote the book that we're going to be talking about today, and that's How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. Thank you guys for tuning in to the Only You podcast. And today we're doing How to Stop Worrying and Start Living by uh, Mr. Dale Carnegie. And thank you guys for tuning in. You can find this on my podcast. Um, there's 16 ways in which this book will help you. Um, part one, fundamental facts you should know about worry. Uh, one, live in date tight compartments. Uh, two, a magic formula for solving worry situations. Three, worry may do what worry may do to you. And part two is basic techniques in analyzing worry, how to analyze and solve worry problems. And a lot of people suffer and struggle with that because as parents, you know, we grow up and we want our kids to be happy. We want them to be warm, safe, and having fun. You know, we're not trying to stress our kids out and think that, you know, children raising should be, you know, in the confines of some kind of Excel spreadsheet, which it never is, you know, children don't come with uh directions and parents don't come with directions either you know this is um this is a situation where people have to cultivate an education on raising kids because if you don't the world will raise your kids for you and you will regret that in the end i promise you that um four is how to analyze and solve worry problems five is how to em eliminate 50% of your business worries, nine suggestions on how to get the most out of this book. Part three, how to break the worry habit before it breaks you. Six is how to crowd worry out of your mind. Seven, don't let the Beatles get you down. And that's just some of the stuff that's in this book, you guys. I wish you would run out and find this. You can find it on Amazon. You can find it on uh, Google Play. And Google Play is where I get all of my books. Um, I use Google Rewards, and like every time I go into a store, Google Rewards pops up and asks me if I spent money there. Do I use my debit card or whatever? It'll And sometimes I don't even go to the store that it pings my phone to. You just got to say, I did not enter the store and whatever. And they give you, and I usually get like a dollar a day from there. And I think that's a pretty good deal when it comes to buying books because books are what makes us educated and um, better, well-rounded individuals every day. Chapter one goes like this, live in day-tight compartments. In the spring of 1871, a young man picked up a book and read 21 words that had a profound effect on his future. A medical student at the Montreal General Hospital, he was worried about passing the final examination, worried about what to do, where to go, how to build up a practice, how to make a living. The 21 words that this young medical student read in 1871 helped him to become the most famous physician of his generation. The, he organized the world-famous John Hopkins School of Medicine. Wow, that's unbelievable because it's still around today, and John Hopkins is one of the biggest hard hitters in the medical world in the world. 
He became a religious professor of the medicine at Oxford. Um, the highest honor that can be bestowed upon any medical man in the British Empire. He was knighted by the King of England. When he died, two huge volumes containing 1,466 pages were required to tell the story of his life. His name was Sir William Ozier. Here are the 21 words that he read in the spring of 1871. 21 words from Thomas Car Carlyle that helped him lead a life free from worry. Our main business is not to see what lies dimly at a distance, but to do what lies clearly at hand. Again, I want to read this to you one more time, you guys, just for the fact that that was uh, pretty deep, really. I, I think uh, I think if we applied this saying, maybe we could get on this level. Our main business is not to see what lies dimly in at a distance, but to do what lies clearly at hand. Forty-two years later, on a soft spring night, when the tulips were blooming on the campus, this man, Sir William, addressed the students of Yale University. He told those Yale students that a man like himself, who had been a professor in Ford University and had written a popular book, was supposed to have brains of a special quality. He declared that was untrue. He said that his intimate friends knew that his brains were of the most mediocre character. <laughs> and most of us are, people. We are all of mediocre brains, but it's educating ourselves and packing our minds full of great knowledge that can encourage someone or build somebody up instead of, you know, being a negative and a sorrow pit, you know? What then was the secret of his success? He stated that it was owing to what he called living in daytime compartments, excuse me, day-tight compartments. What did he mean by that? A few months before he spoke at Yale, Sir William had crossed the Atlantic on a great ocean liner where the captain standing on the bridge could press a button and presto, there was a clanging and machinery and various parts of the ship were immediately shut off from one another, shut off into watertight compartments. Now each of you, Dr. Ozier said to bound on a longer voice, excuse me, Dr. Ozier said to those Yale students, is a much more marvelous organization than the great liner and bound on a longer voyage. What I urge you is that you so learn to control the machinery as to live with daytight compartments as the most certain way to ensure safety on the voyage. Get on the bridge and see that at least the great bulkheads are in working order. Touch a button and hear at every level of your life the iron doors shutting out the past, the dead yesterdays. Touch another or shut off with a metal curtain, the future, the unborn tomorrows. Then you are safe, safer today. Shut off the past. Let the dead past bury its dead. Shut out the yesterdays which have lighted fools the way to dusty death. The load tomorrow added to that of yesterday carried today makes the strongest falter. Shut off the future as tightly as the past. The future is today. There is no tomorrow. The day of man's salvation is now. Waste of energy, mental distress, nervous worries, dog 
the steps of a man who is anxious about the future. Shut close then the great four and aft bulkheads and prepare to cultivate the habit of life of daytight compartments. Dr. Ozier me meant to say that we should not make any effort to prepare for tomorrow. No, not at all. But he did go on in that address to say that the best possible way to prepare for tomorrow is to concentrate with all your intelligence, all your enthusiasm, on doing today's work subtly today. That is only possible that is the only possible way you can prepare for the future. Sir William urged the students at Yale to begin the day with Christ's prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. And that is an important fact that your morning routine should be you being grateful to your creator, being thankful for your life. And that will build certain avenues in your life that will wind up changing your neuroplasticity into thinking that things are better than what they really are and you can you can live in the most miserable circumstances ever in the world and be as the happiest person that you've ever been as long as you find inner peace remember that that prayer asks only for today's bread it doesn't complain about the stale bread we had to eat yesterday and it doesn't say oh god it has been pretty dry out and the wheat belt lately and we may have another drought and then how will i get bread to eat next autumn or suppose i lost my job oh god how could i get bread then no this prayer teaches us to ask for today's bread only today's bread is the only kind of bread you can possibly eat because you know no one is promised tomorrow and tomorrow is only on the calendar of fools years ago a penniless philosopher was wandering through a stony country where the people had a hard time making a living. One day a crowd gathered around him on a hill and he gave what is probably the most quoted speech ever delivered anywhere at any time. The speech contains 26 words that have gone ringing down across the centuries. Take, therefore, no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof many men have rejected these words of jesus take no thought for the morrow they have rejected these words as a counsel of perfection as a bit of oriental masticism i must take the thought for the morrow they said i must take out insurance to protect my family i must lay aside money for my old age I must plan and prepare to get ahead. Right? Of course you must. The truth is that those words of Jesus translated over 300 years ago don't mean today what they meant during the reign of King James. 300 years ago, the word thought frequently meant anxiety. Modern versions of the Bible quote Jesus more accurately as saying, have no anxiety for tomorrow. By all means, take the thought for the tomorrow yes carefully thought and planning and preparation but have no anxiety because i think everybody knows here that anxiety is worrying about the future you cannot control the future all you can do is live in the moment right now but your mind always wants to be preparing for the future because 
Um, the devil wants you on the ropes. And if you're always worried about the future, how can you be worried about right now when you're in the midst of your turmoil? You know, during the war, our military leaders planned for the morrow, but they could not afford to have the, any anxiety. I have supplied the best men with the best equipment we have, said Admiral Ernest J. King, who directed the United States Navy, and have given them what seems to be the wisest mission. This is all I can do. If a ship has been sunk, Admiral King went on, I can't bring it up. It, 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 excuse me, if it is going to be sunk, I cannot stop it. I can use my time much better working on tomorrow's problem than by fretting about yesterday's. Besides, if I let those things get me, I wouldn't last long. Whether in war or peace, the chief difference between good thinking and bad thinking is this. Good thinking deals with causes and effects and leads to logical constructive planning. Bad thinking frequently leads to tension and nervous breakdowns. And bad thinking is um, very easy to get into when we have um, situations, you know, just life, lifetime situations that stack up one after another. Like I've had three deaths in my family in the last couple of weeks and it's just left me scratching my head. But you know what? I am so happy I got to know those people. Those people made me who I am. They're, they were a part of my my inner DNA, you know, and like they were the bridge to my past. Like there's nobody that's alive now to bridge me to my dad's family anymore. They're all past. It's it's interesting, but I've accepted it and I've honestly moved on and I'm not going to have a breakdown. And I'm thankful for that because I've learned to grieve. I recently had the privilege of interviewing author Hayes Salzberg, uh, publisher of one of the most famous newspapers in the world, the New York Times, Mr. Uh, Salzberger, told me that when the Second World War flamed across Europe, he was so stunned, so worried about the future that he found it almost impossible to sleep. He would frequently get out of bed in the middle of the night, take some canvas and tubes of paint, look in the mirror, and try to paint a portrait of himself. He didn't know anything about painting, but he painted anyway to get his mind off his worries. Mr. Salzberger told me that he was never able to banish his worries and find peace until he had adopted as his motto five words from church, a church hymn. One step enough is enough for me. Lead kindly light. Keep thou my feet. I do not ask to see the distant scene. One step enough for me. At about the same time, a young man in uniform somewhere in Europe was learning the same lesson. His name was Ted Benjamino of 5716 5, New Home Road, Baltimore, Maryland, and he had worried himself into a first-class case of combat fatigue, or PTSD, guys. In April, and I don't think PTSD, I think PTSD was actually, um, it was a term deemed in the 1980s, actually. And this book was written long before that. In April 1945, writes Ted Benjamino, I had worried until I had developed what doctors call a spomatic transverse colon, a condition that produced intense pain. If the war hadn't ended when it did, I am sure I would have had a complete physical breakdown. I was utterly exhausted. I was 
a Graves Registration non-commissioned officer for the 94th Infantry Division. My work was to help set up and maintain records of all men killed in action, missing in action, and hospitalized. I also had to help uh, the, with the bodies of both uh, Allied and enemy soldiers who had been killed and hastily buried in shallow graves during the pitch of battle. I had to gather up the personal effects of these men and see that they were sent back to parents or the closest of kin who would prize these personal effects so much. I was constantly worried for fear we might be making embarrassing and serious mistakes. I was worried about whether or not I would come through all this. I was worried about whether I would live to hold my own child in my arms, a son of 16 months whom I had never even seen. I was so worried and exhausted that I had lost 34 pounds. I was so frantic that I was almost out of my mind. I looked at my hands. They were hardly more than skin and bones. I was terrified at the thought of going home a physical wreck. I broke down and sobbed like a child. I was shaken with tears that welled up every time I was alone. There was one period soon after the Battle of the Bulge uh, that started, and then I wept so often that I almost gave up hope of ever being a normal human being again. And that's a part of PTSD, and that's why I think, um, yeah, most of us need to really sit down and think about, you know, all the effects of PTSD and um, how they can affect people's um you know, living styles and how they react and how they treat themselves, you know, because we never know what somebody else is going through, you know. This guy's sobbing like a child. He don't have any idea what's wrong. I ended up in an army dispensary. An army doctor gave me some advice, which completely changed my life. After giving me a thorough physical examination, informed me that my troubles were mental. Ted, he said, I want you to think of your... I want you to think of your life as an hourglass. You know there are thousands of grains of sand in the top of the hourglass, and they all pass slowly and evenly through the narrow neck in the middle. Nothing you or I could do would make more than one grain of sand pass through this narrow neck without impairing the hourglass. You and I and everyone else are like this hourglass. When we start in the morning, there are hundreds of tasks which we feel that we must accomplish that day. But if we do not take them one at a time and let them pass through the day slowly and evenly, as do the grains of sand passing through the narrow neck of the hourglass, then we are bound to break our own physical and mental structure. I have practiced this philosophy ever since that memorable, memorable day at the army doctor gave it, excuse me, that memorable day that an army doctor gave it to me. One grain of sand at a time, one task at a time. That advice saved me and physically and mentally during the war and also helped me in my present position in business. I am a stock 
control clerk for the commercial credit company in Baltimore. I found I found the same problems arising in business that I had arise during the war. A score of things had to be done at once, and there was little time to do them. We were low in stocks. We had new forms to handle, new stock arrangements, changes of uh, address, opening and closing offices, and so on. Instead of getting tout and nervous, I remembered that the doctor had told me, one grain of sand at a time, one task at a time. Repeating those words to myself over and over, I accomplished my tasks in a more efficient manner, and I did my work without the confusion and jumbled feeling that had almost wrecked me in the battlefield. One of the most appealing, or excuse me, one of the most appalling comments on our present way of life is that half of all the beds in our hospitals are reserved for patients with nervous and mental troubles, patients who have collapsed under the crushing burden of accumulated yesterdays and fearful tomorrows. And I find this really, really true in today's world that like everybody out there is looking on the WebMD for some kind of um, medical information about what's going on with their body, but yet they aren't um, putting the nutrients, the macronutrients and the micronutrients into their bodies to have a good, um, you know, molecular, cellular body construction that will help you propel you to live and have not have all the ailments that you're having. A lot of times there are root causes, you know, oh, I'm fatigued. Oh, I have a headache. Oh, I can't sleep. Well, it sounds to me like a potassium deficiency. Have you tried to you know, take potassium over a two-week period and see how your moods and all these things changed and the dizziness went away and all that stuff. Because a lot of times that's what it takes is you sitting down, writing down everything you're putting in your body and realizing, you know, that hypocrites in 400 BC said that if you want to change the way you're feeling or the way your life's going, you got to start exiting all the things that you love out of your life. You got to get rid of the beer. You got to get rid of the cigarettes. You got to get rid of the soda. You got to get rid of the, you know, chips. You got to stop eating meat and start eating, you know, vegetables more often. Whatever it is, but um, this book right here is touching base on that. And I think that that is, it's relevant to right now. And um, a lot of people suffer and they shouldn't have to be suffering, you know. it's And it's sad. I, I have practiced the, that philosophy ever since that memorable day, this guy says. And I think that if we practice this philosophy, you know, that we would have a way easier life and, um, you know, a way better time. You know, it's like, you know, there are thousands of grains of sand in the top of the hourglass. We are the hourglass. You know, uh, one grain of sand passes through it, you know, and there's nothing you can do to make that grain of sand pass through that the, the neck of that bottle. You know, and I love that about this book. And I feel that if each one of us worried about, a, you know, you know, each, you know, if we worried about ourselves more than we worry about what the guy's doing next to us, I think that in reality, we would be a way better um, civilization completely across the world, you know. One of the most, oh yeah, 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 I read that part, sorry. Yes, that is all that life requires of us. But Miss E. K. Shields, 1815 Court Street, Saginaw, Michigan, was driven to despair, even to the brink of suicide, before she learned to live just 
excuse me, she learned to live just till bedtime. In 1937, I lost my husband, Miss Shields said. As she told me her story, I was very depressed and almost penniless. I wrote my former employer, Dr. Leon Roach, and Roach Fowler Company of Kansas City and got my old job back. I had formerly made my living selling books to rural and town school boards. I had sold my car two years previously when my husband became ill, but I managed to scrape together enough money to put down a down payment on a used car and started out to sell books again. I had thought that getting back on the road would help relieve my depression, but driving alone and eating alone was almost more than I can take. And remember, I told you guys, if you guys want to get better, you guys got to socialize. Get out there and force yourself to go out and eat at a restaurant, even if it's alone, but you're around people, but you get to talk to the waitress. Those are important facts to keep your mental status up to par and to keep you constantly challenging yourself and living the fullest of a life that you can live. Some of the territory was not productive and found it hard to make those car payments small as they were. And everybody struggles with that still to this day. Look at the inflation. Jeez. In the spring of 1938, I was working out from uh, Versailles, Missouri. The schools were poor. The roads bad. I was so lonely and discouraged that at one time I even considered suicide. Oh, how sad. It seemed that, and I'm, I, mean, I mean that sincerely, it seemed that successful was impossible. I had... Nothing to live for. I dreaded getting up each morning and facing life. I was afraid of everything, afraid I could not meet the car payments, afraid I could not pay my room rent, afraid I would not have enough to eat. I was afraid my health was failing and I had no money for a doctor. All that kept me from suicide were my thoughts that my sister would be deeply grieved and that I did not have enough money to pay for my own funeral. Is that not insane? And I think a lot of people worry about dying like that. Like, oh, man, I don't want to be burdening my family with, you know, a $10,000 bill for me dying. And that's sad that there's being money being made all over the world when people die. And it's a whole business. It's sad. And it's a, it's a humongous business. Then one day I read an article that lifted me out of my despondence and gave me the courage to go on living. I shall never cease to be grateful for one inspiring sentence in that article, it said, Every day is a new life to a wise man. I typed that sentence out and passed it on the and pasted it on the windshield of my car where I saw it every minute I was driving. I found it wasn't so hard to live only one day at a time. I learned to forget the yesterdays and to not think of tomorrows. Each morning I said to myself, Today's a new life. And if we all did that, you guys, we would be so much better, so much more well-rounded. Thank you guys for listening. This is the Only You Podcast. It's your boy, Lo Jackson, coming to you live. I know I haven't been out there hollering at you guys in a minute, but I've been going through some stuff. And I do want to tell you guys, you know, the rundown of this book is, um, you know, like the six things that I really gathered from how to stop worrying and start living is, one, you got to keep busy. If you're not busy, because like in the Bible... There's a verse that says, you know, idle hands are the devil's workshop. So, I mean, think about your telephone while you're sitting in your chair and your phone's in your face. Dude, your hands are idle and your mind's just running rampant. That's why, you know, pornography is at the top of, you know, the the, the most misused websites on the internet, you know, because um, people are not keeping busy, you know. Their, their hands are idols and their minds are just running wild, so they're just conjuring up tons of negativity and hurting themselves and they don't even realize it 
And the second one is um, don't fuss about the, the trifles in life. You know, when you when you fuss about little small trif trifles, you know, you you create more negativity than what should be rendered to those situations and circumstances because those are circumstances, and that too shall pass. Just as some of the most hardest things in life pass, this too shall pass. So two is don't fuss about trifles. Three is use the law of averages. And last season on the Only You podcast, I did a book called um, The 4-Hour Workweek. You guys should run out and check that out because the author of that book actually gives you mathematical breakdowns of how he's out there really living the new rich lifestyle of, you know, he has a he has a uh, way that he actually um, it's a mathematical theory that he came up with in, a, in his own head of how he wanted to just live his life and be lazy and you know mediocre in his brain because we're all pretty much mediocre in our brains unless we push ourselves to the limits. Um, four is um, cooperate with the inevitable because you know there are. Probably 95% of the time of things that you cannot control. You know, it's inevitable it's going to happen. You know, but there are things that you can also do to make sure that the inevitable doesn't happen. You know, or you can at least try to make it not happen. But, you know, you just got to cooperate with what's going on. You don't have to accept it. You don't have to, you know, get all involved and get deep down into it. You just got to cooperate with the inevitable. And five is put a stop loss order on all worries. Because, you know, like the Bible says, worry for nothing, pray for everything. You know, and, the, and I always want to use the Bible as references just for the fact that, man, there are some wise old sages in there. And I mean, come on. It's a it's a great read. It's the one of the it's the best selling book ever. And I'm here to encourage you guys to read books. So. Get out there and read these books. Get out there and find these books and, uh, you know, educate yourselves. Uh, five is put a, yeah, I read that one. Put a stop loss on all your worries. Six is let the past bury its dead. And that is a very important one to me just for the fact that I've had a lot of deaths in my family here in the recent years. But, you know, um, there are things that we can do to become better people and this book I wish you guys would go out and get it I find I'm going to give this book a five-star review because I think Dale Carnegie was way before his time he had a great mind he believed in people and I mean all the way up until his death he literally was giving and helping and wanting to be involved with people and them becoming better people and um literally better speakers and that was a big thing to him was helping people become the best speakers possible and this book was written in 1948 um and i want to read you guys you know because i told you that this um season i want to give you some um some uh skills you know how to uh you know because a lot of people don't have uh skill coping skills you know and that's what i want to tell you guys is that you know, the internet's full of coping skills. You just have to find the right skills and apply them to your life, you know. How, you know, how, how do you analyze and solve your worry problems? One is uh, get the facts. You know, unless you have the facts, you can't even begin to tackle your problems. 
because you don't even know what the facts are. You're falling through your life blind, aimlessly. And you know, you might think I'm crazy because I'm doing this podcast and you think that I'm a phony. Well, I'm telling you what, dude, I am not. I am putting things into play here. There's things in my money situation in my life that are going directly towards uh, the north, man. And I'm living it, you know, and it's like, you got to analyze the facts. You got to find out what the facts say about the problem you are facing. And if you don't, how, how can you arrive at any decision? You got to arrive at a decision and then act on that decision. Um, you know, after analysis of your problems, um, arrive at a decision and commit to it. Cause if you don't commit to it, then dude, you're never going to finish it. When, Tempted to worry about a problem, write down answers to, you know, to the following questions. What is the problem? Okay, then you write out, here's the problem. What is the cause of the problem? Remember what I told you earlier about hypocrites in 400 BC? Find the root cause. And he was the first doctor. And every doctor out there literally based their practice off of hypocrites because he was the first person that practiced empathy towards patients and wrote down everything the patient was saying and found ways to help them. And it was mostly through diet. And they had all kinds of blindnesses, you know, back injuries, all kinds of stuff he dealt with. And if you guys ever get a chance, study hypocrites, man. You'll learn a lot. You know, what are all the um, possible solutions? You need to write down all the possible solutions to your problem. What is the best solution? And then you circle that one and you start, you know, finding a, you start making a plan, you know, you got to have a plan for your life or the problems that you're facing, because if you ain't writing anything down, you are never going to remember and you're never going to be better. You're going to keep on creating the same problems because they will keep repeating themselves because you're a human and we all have cycles. We all, you know, most things heal in threes. You know, when you get a scratch on your arm, it takes three weeks to heal. When you break a bone, it takes three months to heal. When, you know, three years, you know, it's, I'm telling you guys, you need to get educated. You know, uh, how do you break worry habits, you know, um, before worry habits actually wind up breaking you? You know, keep busy is that one. You know, don't fuss about trifles. You know, don't permit little things to ruin your life. Use the laws of averages to outlaw your worries. And that's what I was getting at with uh, that third one. Is that Ask yourself, how likely is it that the thing I'm worried about will happen? You know, and will this thing even matter in three months? That's what you got to ask yourself. You know, cooperate with the uh, inevitable. Um, if it is going to happen and you can do nothing about it, accept it, dude, and move on. Because once you harbor those feelings and emotions, man, you cause mental illness every time that you hold on to something. If you can't let go of what your coworker said to you or did to you, dude, you are creating a very depressive, very downhill run as fast as you possibly can. If you're having issues with your spouse and you can't even um, figure out like um, ways to you know, work it out when you committed to them, you took a vow with them and now you're wanting to run away with your tail between your legs. Come on, man, grow up. You know, they deserve to be loved. And, um, you know, you just, you know, I, I don't know. You just got to cooperate with the, with the inevitable because there's nothing you can do about it. Accept it and move on. Um, and you know, put a stop loss on your worries, decide whether the thing, uh, that is giving you anxiety deserves that much attention. And it probably doesn't, but the way you've created your mind to be is 
when anything negative enters your mind, your mind's like, yes, dopamine, let's get all mad and angry and fired up. Because some people just get fired up and wild and mad because they need a dopamine fix because they haven't had a cigarette in two hours. But in reality, that's the way life goes and that's the way people are. You know, and the sixth one was let the past bury its dead. Don't dwell on the past. There ain't nothing you can do about it. You have to live in the moment right now. And this year in 2022, uh, I have really been living in the moment. I've slowed down. I have self-analyzed. I have done so many different podcasts about so many different topics and books this year that I've really grown, you know. And I, I think about the golden rule of conquering worry, which um, is unjust criticism is often often disguised as a compliment. When you are um, unjustly criticized, remember, it is because others are jealous of you, man. Uh you know, and I mean, you wouldn't believe that people would be jealous of you, but unfortunately, as human beings, because I mean, um, jealousy is protecting something that you already have, you know, that's jealousy. And, and, and people think, oh, it's jealousy is wanting something that um, somebody else has. No, it's not. Jealousy is actually you protecting what you have and envy is wanting what somebody else has. And that's what people get confused is envy and jealousy and they're two different things you know uh do the very best that you can your work will speak for itself don't um criticize and don't beat yourself down when things ain't perfect and that's a lot of humans love to be perfectionist but perfectionists can actually cause mental illness and other um neurological disorders that wind up making us uh, bipolar, schizophrenic, because all those ailments are brought on by stress, you know. People can be he healed of schizophrenia. And just because you have schizophrenia doesn't mean you're going to have it forever. There was something in your life that had caused this stress that was so unbearable that your body is now having um, personality disorders and behavior disorders because you um, are under a survival and stressful mode that you can't get out of, you know, engage in constructive self-criticism. That's an important one. It's, it's a, keep a record of the, um, foolish things that are, are like you have done since, um, you can't hope to be perfect, you know, because nobody's perfect, but if you keep a record of the things that you've done, you can learn from them. You know, what are, you know, what are some ways that you can prevent fatigue and keep your energy and spirits high? You guys, um, rest before you get tired. Don't allow yourself to be too exhausted to continue. Um, learn to relax at work. Take a break and even nap sometimes. Like, you know, if you get a 30-minute launch, try to take a power nap, you know. If you guys look up on the internet, there's a Navy SEAL tactic to where you lay flat on your back, put your feet, like, on a chair, cross your hands over your chest. And if you can sleep for eight minutes like that, that's how the Navy SEALs actually get an eight-hour rest in eight minutes. There's something about crossing your arms on over your chest gives you the comfort and protection and then your legs being elevated like that it just sends your your body into like a zero gravity and then you rest as though it's like an eight hour rest but it's like a power nap um if you are a housewife learn to relax at home this will protect your health and appearance um apply the following good working habits um clear your desk do things in order of importance when you're faced with a problem solve it um to prevent fatigue demonstrate enthusiasm in your work if your work is exciting, you will never feel like you're even doing work because you're happily doing what you love to do and it's not work, you know. No one has ever been killed by lack of sleep. Don't worry too much about not sleeping well because 
in reality, nobody's died of lack of sleep. <laughs> Even though people want to like misinform and tell you that, oh yeah, you'll die if you don't sleep very often. Well, that's not true, folks. Not at all. So, you know, it's like, um, how, how do you find the right kind of work for you? You know, that's that could lead into, you know, you could have, that's something, you, you know, a lot of people suffer from not knowing what kind of work they want to do or, you know, uh, when choosing your career, seek advice from people who are pursuing that career. You know, if that's something you want to get into, and then they'll tell you the downside of it. You know, get the facts on, put it on paper. Uh, create a budget in your head that you need. Learn how to spend wisely. Don't increase your headaches with income. You know, more income should not mean more trouble for you. Duh. I mean, there's a lot of things out there, but I want to give you guys some of these coping skills just for the fact that this is the second season of the Only You podcast, and this was How to Stop Worrying and Start Living by Dale Carnegie. This book was written in 1948, and please, you guys, get out there, keep busy, get out there, and don't be fussing about small uh, trifles in life, you know. Uh, use the law of averages. If you guys find formulas and you apply them to your life and you stick to them for a whole year, you will come up on top and you will never ever sink and you will find ways to overcome shortcomings and live a prosperous life you know uh, and you have to cooperate with the inevitable because you can't control anything in life you know except how you respond and how you react and those are pretty much it you know and put a stop loss on your worries you know worry for nothing pray for everything and uh and this is the final one is let the past bury its dead and thank you guys for listening this is the only you podcast your boy Lo jackson coming to you live tune in next time